Hey, what's going on? It's Kyle Cruz, and you're listening to the KC at the Movies Podcast, and this week we're talking about Mank, Sound of Metal, and Black Bear. It's Kyle Cruz, and you're listening to the KC at the Movies Podcast for the the 10th 11th, 2020. What's going on? How you doing? You having a good, <laughs> you having a good week? Um, it's been a big week in terms of um, films and film releases. VOD has just been dropping films like flies this week. And particularly, what we're going to be talking about, as you heard in the intro, what we're going to be talking about, that came out on Friday, Mank, Black Bear, and The Sound of Metal. One Netflix release, one Amazon release, and one just everywhere release. All all on, all on VOD. I'm pretty sure you can rent it in most places. Yeah, without further ado, I want this to be a bit of a quick one, so let's dive, let's dive straight into Mank and talk about Mank. Mank is directed by David Fincher. It's written by his father, the late Jack Fincher. And... It is about Herman J. Mankiewicz and his journey, I guess his race, to finish the screenplay for Citizen Kane and his fight for credibility uh, with Orson Welles. And that's what it says in the tin. I think it's more about the politics in 1930s Hollywood, in my opinion. It does focus quite primarily on Herman J. Mankiewicz, but I think it's more, if we're talking about just, just as a picture... Definitely the politics and the the running of the studio systems back in uh, 1930s in Hollywood. And I was excited for this movie because it's a David Fincher film. David Fincher, before I start talking about this movie as a critique, David Fincher is one of my favorite directors. He's directed three of my, like my top ten films of all time. And I very much... I'm inspired by David Fincher in terms of direction and how he handles his projects and his um, everything he works on because the, the man knows what he's talking about. If we're talking about what he said recently about a few things, I don't agree with some of those things, but when it comes to film, he's definitely a person I look up to and, uh, like I said, are inspired by. So I was looking forward to this film ever since the trailer came, or ever since it was fucking, like, those those pictures came out, and then the trailer came out, I was very, very excited, because it looks like he was committing to the 1930s style of film, uh, in terms of cinematography, black and white, and the sound design, especially, very sounding like, like you're in a, you're in a, you're in a concert hall, or, a, or something like that, and, yeah, it looked like it was going the full mile with it, and it very, much, it very much looked like a David Fincher film, but just in black and white. So I was looking forward to this one, and when I found out it, it was hitting Netflix on the fourth of December, you could color me excited. <laughs> you could color me pretty, pretty fucking excited. And I'm gonna say, now that I've seen it, it's it's good. It's it's good. I'll start with the positives first. Um, I think this film, just like most of David Fincher's movies, are is just technically brilliant. 
the cinematography is fucking gorgeous. Um, some of the shots to be used, I wasn't sure. There's a there's a really beautiful scene. I I, I forget what scene it is, but they're at a party. It's it's not the one you're thinking of where they're all dressed up. Not the costume party. It's I think the one before that. And I, I wasn't sure. Sometimes I wasn't sure if it was a split diopter shot or it was a just a normal shot because like some of it in the foreground you have, you have uh you have Herman J. Mankiewicz who's played excellently like Gary Oldman these performances are incredible by all these people Charles Dance especially great and you have Mank in the foreground and you have um, Charles Dance's character and the rest of the party in the background and it really does look like a spit diopter shot but at the same time Mank is kind of like out of focus as well because the split up the shot is when you have both subjects in focus, foreground and background. It kind of looks like it's, I don't know what to call it, but it was a fucking beautiful shot. And there's also a great, let's just call it a walk and talk, where you have three characters uh, walking down a studio hallway. I mean, I mean, I saw that scene and I was just, I was just thinking, what the fucking wow. Like, this is what you want to make, right? This is what this is what you aspire to be as a filmmaker to to create something so fucking picture perfect like this, and have it just go off. I mean, we know that Fincher, um, we know that Fincher is a perfectionist. He loves to do a lot of fucking takes when it comes to his scenes and and how they're um structured, and uh, yeah, how they're done. And uh, yeah, the cinematography is just—it's just gorgeous. The shot styles are, is is just immac—it's it's immaculately made. I'll I'll just say that. I'll say that without no hesitation. This film is immaculately made. It is so stunning. Oh my god, just the attention to detail as well. Like, not only does the sound design match the sound design of that time, you're thinking like 1930s, 1940s. Not only does the sound design match what that era was and how the movie sounds. I mean, even not even just dialogue, even just things like cars um, driving by. And uh, it's just, it just sounds fucking amazing. It sounds incredible. And I love the, in between each scene, they have a, um, it's like a, you, you're, you're typing out the scene of the, um, when you're writing a script, you're, you type out the scene, like interior, uh, kitchen day, something like that. And uh, between each scene in, in this film, you have the typewriter being typed on and uh, the caption is like typed out. It's like the setting of the next scene. And then it's almost like it's it's going to the next page and it goes up and down. And it's just fucking, it's just, it's just great. It's just shit like that where you just watch that. You appreciate the, the, the fucking craft behind it. And this, this, this is fucking, this is film. <laughs> I was just very, very excited by that type of stuff, and it's just it just goes to show that there's so much uh, love and attention was given to this film, and it almost feels like a love letter to his father, honestly. Oh, it's just incredible. It's incredible. And then back to attention to detail, he even has like cigarette burns between each. It almost feels like you're looking, it's like you're going to the next reel, and you have that cigarette burn. And it, there's even those. There's even those in this movie. Like, there's even little shit like that. And you just smile because you just appreciate it and are just astounded by the level of craft on display. Um, and I've got to mention, are we talking sound? Are we talking sound? I've got to mention the score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. It is so fucking good. Oh, my God. It's... 
it's it's really not something that they do um, often, but this like the, oh man, the, I remember there was one scene uh, where I think Mank is it's either another walk and talk or Mank is going to another place, and it's just you can hear those those the the cast of instruments coming in. And it's just pounding, 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 pounding. He gets to the... I think he's going NGM. I think that's, that's the thing that's happening. And he gets into the building and then it's just... Oh, just the... Oh, my God. It's just... It's so good. Uh, they're just masters what they do. They are masters. I have come to accept that now. That these men are incredible. Just great. Love the score. Love the sound mix. The style of the captions. Everything I've just mentioned. Technically, this film is fucking immaculate. And the performances, I'll just say, let's just, let's say we talk about the performances here. Gary Oldman, great. Herman, as uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz, knocks it out of the park. Love it. Amanda Seyfried as well. She was surprisingly good. Really liked her in this movie as well. And I said it before and I'll say it again. Charles Dance was a, not a standout to me, but he was the one I kind of kept my eye on. And I was like, okay, all right. Really, really liked what he did in this and um, unfortunately, that's where my positives end with Mink. And this is where it just it saddens me to say, because with most David Fincher films, I find myself quite emotionally invested with the story and the characters that he puts into his films and um, that you see on screen. And I just found with Mank, and I just, I just, I just, I really don't want to say it, but I just didn't care that much. Um, I think this would help if you had seen and appreciate and love Citizen Kane. And full disclosure, this may take some credibility away from what I'm saying, but I'm just talking about the film that I saw. I haven't seen Citizen Kane. I just wanted to watch this film because it looked it looked great, and I'm a big fan of David Fincher, and I'll watch anything he does. So that may take away from what I'm saying. I am commenting on the film that I saw, not any context around it. Let's just get that out of the way. So yeah, I just wasn't emotionally invested in this story. And for a David Fincher film where I'm so, most of the time, I am so on the edge of my seat. I'm so entertained by what's happening on screen. I'm so invested in the characters. I just wasn't. I just wasn't here with Mank. And while I can appreciate how scenes are done, how things how things are executed, I just didn't ha- feel like I just had any emotional stake in the story or any of these characters. And for a David Fincher film, I found myself quite bored when I don't think I should have been. I won't exaggerate. I wasn't just like, oh my God, when the, when the fuck is this going to end? There is so much good behind just the craft of the filmmaking that you, you stay there. I just, I don't know, man. I just don't see myself either watching this again or... Yeah, just like counting this as one of my favorite Fincher films or anything like that. It's not even one of my favorite films of the year. And I thought it really would be. But not even that, man. Which is sad to say, but that's just the truth. And I don't, you know, I don't lie. <laughs> I don't lie on here. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's apparently, that's, that's, it's not apparently. It's just what happened. I just didn't get any feelings or anything. Um, I think I said to my friend, I said, that was really, really good, but I felt nothing. I don't know. I feel like I should, especially like since I'm a lover of film, I love seeing behind the scenes of filmmaking and all that stuff. I felt feel like I should have felt something, but I just didn't. And if you did and you really enjoyed this film, 
that's fantastic. And uh, I'm really happy that you had a great time with this one, but I just didn't. I'm sorry. But I will say, I will say, definitely. We, we, we're bringing it back to the, um, the technical stuff. I see this film getting Best Cinematography at the Oscars. I see it getting Best Sound Design Mix at the Oscars. I see it... Um, oh, sorry, when I say getting, I just mean nominated. I don't mean win. Um, sorry. I see it being nominated for Cinematography. I see it being nominated for Sound Mix and Sound Design. I see it being nominated for Score. I see it being nominated for Director. I see it being nominated for Actors, probably all round. And definitely Best Picture. I won't say win, but I'll definitely say nominated for all of those and um, we'll just see what happens. But yeah, that's how I felt. I really thought I would uh, love this one, but unfortunately just didn't. And it's just, um, sometimes that happens, you know. It's on Netflix now if you want to check it out. And uh, if you're a fan of Fincher, I think you'll still get something out of this in terms of how it is made. But it's up to you. And if you really feel for these characters, we're going to get out of it. All right, moving on. Oh, yeah. Okay. Moving on, Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal, uh, directed by Darius Marta. It's also, this is interesting here, it's also written by Darius Marta himself, but also written by Derek Sian France, who has done Blue Valentine and the, uh, the I think it's a lot between oceans that he's did, but most notably, one of my favorite movies of all time, Blue Valentine. And, uh, oh, and uh, Place Upon the Pines. I forgot about Place Upon the Pines, which is also great. Well, the the first two acts are. Sorry. Sorry, Bradley. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that Sian Francis did, uh, got a writing credit on this. I think it was a story by. I think you got a story by credit when I saw it in the credits. But um, enough about the crew. Let's, <laughs> let's see how this movie is. Um, Sound and Battle is, stars Riz Ahmed as... Um, a drummer named Ruben for a uh, metal band. And he starts to lose his hearing and then eventually goes deaf. And it's, it's a really fucking sad movie, but at the same time, there's some, there's some really uplifting moments and heartwarming stuff, but man, this is a sad one. I had no idea what I was in for when I watched this. I thought I just look at the poster. I didn't even look at the trailer. I looked at the poster. I know this played at, I think it was a TIFF last year, I think. I think it was a TIFF. And um, was it Sundance? I'm not too sure. Uh, I'm going to have to look it up either. But yeah, I um, I had, I had was not expecting what this movie was. And I came away from it just so amazed. And um, I really dug this one. I really dug this one. Really wasn't, wasn't going to fall. It was going to be. And Riz Ahmed... Can we talk about Riz Ahmed for a second? This man. I don't know if you've been on the Riz Ahmed train for a while, but this man is, he's already, to me, a, a really good actor. Um, I really like Riz Ahmed. He's done some, he's done some, he's done some shit, but he's been in some really, really nice stuff. We're talking about Nightcrawler. We're talking about, oh my God, didn't we? Sisters Brothers. That was a good movie. But Nightcrawler, um, the night of that miniseries that he did, for I think it was HBO. That was really good. And uh, look, and I haven't seen Four Lines, but I've heard he's really good in that too. Anyway, the products that I've gone off, like The Night Of, The Nightcrawler, Sisters Brothers. Oh yeah, he was in Una. I don't know if you guys have seen Una. That's um, that uh, India Australian film with uh, Rudy Murray and Ben Mendelsohn. But um, it's not bad. 
Like it's not great, but it's not bad. Riz Ahmed, he's just he's he's so good. And he this is hands down his best performance of his career so far, in my opinion. He really, really delivers here as uh Ruben as a um he's also fucking ripped. <laughs> he's quite jacked <laughs> for this role. He really sells it as a as a man who has a passion for something and then one day just loses it all because of an unfortunate circumstance and coming to terms of a new reality but also trying to heal and trying to build off of that with a new way of living and at the same time like I mentioned um, you know grappling with the thought of losing that past life that he had of being that drama of being in in, uh, surrounded by a loud noise and now trying to adapt to a new world where it's just full of silence it's 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 sad. I've said it before. It's sad, but it's very very just gripping to watch. And it was really good to see Olivia Cook again, man. It was really good to see Olivia Cook again. I haven't seen her in a while. I think the last thing I saw her in was yeah was was Thoroughbreds, or is it Ready Player? I think it was Thoroughbreds because I did watch Ready Player One, but I think it was Thoroughbreds that I last saw her in. Um, and she's also in um, Bates Motel, the TV series with um, Freddie Highmore and Vera Farmiga, and um, which is which is good. And she's really good in that too. She's great here, as I believe she is Louise. I think it's Louise. Her name is um, as his kind of like partner, but also manager. And um, yeah, it was just good to see her again. She's I think she's a um, good performer. I like her. I like what she does. I think she is a very, very talented actor, and um, I I really like seeing her again. And she was great here in Xanamel. She was great. But what really is the the high point of this film is its sound design, because when you come to the moment where Ruben has to adapt to this new world that's pretty much silent because he's going deaf, the sound design that is used is the way the way the way it's used the way it's utilized throughout the film is is very 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 cool very off-putting too very off-putting because you have moments where uh the audio would just cut out there'd be no audio it'd be completely silent and you'd be kind of in the headspace and the psyche of ruben and it's very very effective and then there's a scene towards the end i'm not going to spoil what it is but it's different the sound design changes and it's different and it's just so alien and otherworldly and it's like something I've never ever heard before and it's it's just it's it's just fascinating it's absolutely fascinating so I won't spoil what that scene is but I think people that have seen the film will understand what it is when I'm talking about it right guys <laughs> very alien right I want to say alien I don't mean like just literally an alien i just mean like very weird and out there um and something i wasn't expecting but um yeah sound of metal it's one of the best of the year i fucking love this movie it was i was blown away by it i was so pleasantly i was just gobsmacked by it it was it was just so so good it was it has beautiful cinematography as well um i believe it was shot on film and it was yeah it's one of the best of the year it's one of the best of the year in my opinion, do seek it out. You can seek it out. It's on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out. And I really hope you do because it is it is one of the best of the year. Okay. 
right off and to finish off ladies and gentlemen we gotta talk about black bear we gotta talk about a black bear a black bear this black bear that black bear no <laughs> what is happening okay let's talk about black bear black bear is written by Lawrence Michael Levine and directed by Lawrence Michael Levine and it stars Aubrey Plaza as Allison who is a, a filmmaker who it's kind of lost in her ways. She's she's uh, got writer's block. She's creatively, I'll just say that, creatively blocked. And she wants to write a new screenplay. So she goes out to this Airbnb in the middle of the woods to find a desire to create again. And that's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. I'll add that she meets Christopher Abbott's character, Sarah Gayden's character. And I'm just going to leave it there. Because the less you know about this film, the better the experience that you'll have with it. Because... It is, uh, it's a ride. <laughs> it's it's a bit of a trip. And dare I say, Aubrey Plaza, mm, blew me away. Um, I think I also gave this the same review I gave uh, Sound of Metal. Not that it matters, but I felt kind of the same. I think Sound of Metal I do like more, but uh, Black Bear was something that I was looking forward to since Sundance. People had this on their Sundance lists. And I was very much looking forward to seeing it. And, of course, we're getting it right at the end of the year. But, you know, you can't complain when it eventually gets to you. So I was just happy to um, get happy to grab it. Yeah, it's this is this is a very, very odd movie. This is a very, very odd movie. What I'll say is, without... I don't want to leave too many spoilers or, or do even minor spoilers. But what I'll say is, this film has... Okay, this is, if this is stepping on territory of spoilers, just, I'm just going to say it. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. If you don't know anything about this movie, just skip ahead. Um, but this movie has two halves. I'm not going to say what they are, but this movie is split into two halves. The first half for me, I felt was very on the nose. It was kind of boring. It had run-of-the-mill dialogue that I've heard before about, you know, social critiques. And it was just... It was just a lot, and I didn't care about it, and the characters were so fucking insufferable that I, it just felt so passive-aggressive. The conversations felt so fucking passive-aggressive, particularly between Sarah Gaydon and um, Aubrey Plaza's character, Allison. And they, it just, I, I hated these characters. <laughs> I, I fucking hated these characters. But then, so I was kind of just, at first, I was like, oh no, would, this is what it is? Okay, all right. Uh, but then you get to the second half. Okay, then you get to the second half, and then everything changes. And I'm not gonna say what it is, but just, just, I'll just go on with that. Everything changes, and the second half just blew me away. It was wow. It's um, it's nothing like amazing, but I was this one. This movie took me in a ride as well, just like Sound of Metal did, because it was just something that I wasn't expecting. And once you get to the second half, and you're just like. Okay, what, what, huh? Okay. <laughs> I was just, I think the word I've got here is just, holy shit. <laughs> because you get this, especially being in the uh, the world that portrays in the second half. I've been in that world. It's scary at times. And there is a particular scene where I had very major PTSD. And I was, I was just like, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking, oh, well. It was just, it was, it was, 
um, it just took me back. It took me back and I was just like, oh no, yeah, I've, I've been here before and it, it just fucking sucks. I've been in the world of the second half and uh, you know, the, you've seen the ups and downs of that world and uh, it's, it's pretty chaotic, pretty crazy. But what brings this film, what lifts this film high up towards the heavens is the performance of Aubrey Plaza. Because I'm just going to say it, I'm very biased with Aubrey Plaza. I love her. I will watch anything that she does. Big fan of what she does. Big fan of who she is. But I've been willing to admit where some performances where she kind of just does the same thing over and over again. So I'm willing to admit that. And um, But I still would love, you know, I still love her and still a fan of her. But this film, she brings performance that is so chaotic and so, like so just mesmerizing as a performer when she plays um, as, as this character, Alison. What it feels like is her character from Ingrid Goes West, but just more emotionally vulnerable and more, just more chaotic and more of a, more of a fireball <laughs> because she is just, she's all over the place. And I'm not talking in, in, in uh, negative terms. She's just all over the place. And you just can't take your eyes off her because she's just incredible in this movie. She is tops the performance in Ingrid Goes West. I mean, she goes miles beyond that. And she is probably one of my favorite performances of the year so far. And um, I'm very happy to say that, especially as, as an Aubrey Plaza fan, you can finally say, you'd be like, this is it. <laughs> she's done it. Um, and I've also got a shout out Christopher Abbott. Christopher Abbott. Um, I recently watched him in Possessor as well. He was he was good in that too. Um, that film was kind of okay, but um, it was good. It wasn't okay. It was, it was good, but no, I've had my issues over that one. And uh, Christopher Abbott, I saw him last actually in Piercing with um, Mia Wasikowska. And that film, as, as much as that film was just way too short and just really weird, um, as much as I did dig most of that movie, but like just hated how it ended... Christopher Abbott really did stand out to me in that movie. And he is someone I'm definitely going to keep my eye on because he is a really good performer. And he's, when it comes to the characters that he plays in this movie, and especially what I saw in Possessor, he can bring it, dude. Like, gives a better performance in um, Possessor. But he can really bring it. And he is really becoming someone I'm going to keep my eye on, I think. Um, He is, I like him. <laughs> I like the bloke. What can I say? But um, Black Bear is really something, and it's it's a trip. And I, what I got out of it, when you look at its two second, when, when you look at its two halves, what I got out of it is just a critique on toxic relationships, and when you use and abuse someone that you really really care about just for the sake of creating. And I think. When you especially when you dive into the second half, I think it says a lot about those two themes, and it's 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 a lot to unpack. I think a lot to unpack. And yeah, I really liked Black Bear. I thought it was a very good independent film, and I Lawrence Michael Levine. I where have I seen that name before? Maybe I've seen where have I seen Lawrence Lawrence before? Wait, is that say Sophia Takao? I know her. Yeah, she did Always Shine. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. That's cool. Always Shine is kind of like this as well, but like a bit. Um, obviously not the same, but that's a good, that was a, that was a decent indie from a few years ago. Always Shine with uh, Mackenzie Davis. Yeah. 
Lawrence Michael Levin. I'm going to be checking out what he does next because I really likes Black Bear. I was a fan of it. You can rent it. I think you can rent it most places. It looks like you could do it. iTunes, Amazon, Google, everywhere. Apple, everywhere. So do check out Black Bear. I think it's one of the best, one of my favorite movies of the year. And it was worth the wait since Sundance. I had this, I remember when I made this list on Letterboxd for the most anticipated movies of 2020, it was right there at the end. And now look at this. Shot up. Shot the fuck up. Um, so check it out. If you don't want to check it out for the subject matter, just check it out for Aubrey Plaza's performance because I think she is absolutely amazing in this movie. Before we take off, guys, I let's talk about Sundance. Let's talk about Sundance. I don't know if you guys are aware, <laughs> but I was bringing up Sundance throughout this whole thing because, um, you know, most of the movies that come out at the end of the year do premiere at Sundance and everyone gets, like, not everyone, but, like, press get to see them and everyone that you get to, you know see on youtube and everything they get to see it first and get to come out of those movies and um that's how you find out where some of the best films do come from sundance um i know that um minari that i fucking forgot i fucking missed out on a virtual screening of but um that's okay I think it's going to come in next year in February anyway. But yeah, Monaro came from Sundance. It won the audience award at Sundance. Oh, it won the Grand Jury Prize, sorry, at Sundance. And um, yeah, Sundance next year is going to be a little different. And I want to talk about it because I'm pretty excited. I don't know if it's going to come. I don't know the full details or everything yet. But it sounds promising because it sounds for the first time ever. Sundance Film Festival is going to be online and it can be accessed by absolutely anyone. So you can access the whole entire catalog, all the screenings, I believe. There's going to be 70 films that are showing. They haven't, they haven't fully talked about what 70 films are going to be showing, but also they've, they've picked 70 for the lineup, and they're going to do special Q&A screenings, I believe, with uh, filmmakers, and they're going to do just virtual cinemas, and um, tickets, tickets will be like the passes for you know past year's Sundances, and um, they go on sale on January 7th. Um, but the thing about I'm not too unsure, like not too sure about it at the moment is if because they do say to some international countries they haven't mentioned what countries, but I'm hoping they you know tip a hat the bloody Australia, but yeah that's that's the the stuff I'm unclear of at the moment. I don't know if they're going to bring it to Australia or not, but um, hopefully they do. I really hope they do. But please please do that. <laughs> Because um, this is this is really exciting to finally see Sundance Film Festival and and just have it be available and, and accessible to everyone. Because I'm very much for accessibility when it comes to film festivals and uh, seeking out movies. And uh, yeah, so if you want to check it out, I mean, do go over to the Sundance Film Festival's website and see the full details there. They've got everything they're talking about here. Sign up for the mailing list. I've done so. I. Again, I want to get more details of what's happening with the international screenings and international tickets, but rest assured, I will be definitely keeping my eye on that. And like I said before, tickets go on sale January 7th for those Sundance tickets. So that's very, very exciting. And um, I really hope it comes to Australia because that'd be that'd be really fucking cool. I, I would really like to, uh, you know, do that virtually with uh, a few mates. That'd be great. Guys, thank you very much for listening to the KC Movies podcast for this week. Hope you check out those films. Do check them out. Do form your own opinion. Mank is available on Netflix. 
Sound of Metal is on Amazon Prime, and uh, Black Bear you can rent on your online services and available on digital. Have a great week. Be safe, and I'll talk to you. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you next time. All right.